Well, first of all, I just want to say welcome, everyone. God bless you. <coughs> Glad you all can make it out. Um, in fact, let, let us, um, before we pray, I just want to ask that we would uh, get our Bibles. Um, that way we can read... We can just have it there for when we need to read it. It's in James chapter 1. I hope to be speaking to you guys today about enduring trials. The testing of our faith. Um, again, James chapter 1. Excuse me. Hey, uh, it's kind of funny, again, I gave a faith presentation, uh, <laughs> faith topical preaching. <laughs> wow, praise God, man. We're always in sync. <laughs> We're always in one accord, man. Amen. <laughs> praise God. Amen. Well, that's a good sign, because it indicates to me that um, we all will need to hear what be teaching on today praise God again James chapter 1 we will begin um, at verse 1 <clears throat> but with that said um, and have, um, once again thank you for joining I say thank you not because you're necessarily giving anything to me but it's um, we're we're of a benefit to the entire group um, it's a blessing to see everyone's face. Um, it's a blessing to know, to know that um, we aren't alone. And I think the fact that um, every time each and every one of you join, um, there's something that goes on in the spirit for the same reason that if you light 100 matches versus one, you will tell a difference, Right? And I think it's a blessing knowing that um, together we are hotter. Together we are of greater strength. Together we are less exposed to the enemy. Um, and, you know, it's said that misery loves company, but we're not miserable. The joyous loves company too. <laughs> I was glad when they said unto me, when I when they said unto me, "Let us go into the house of the Lord," and um, <clears throat> you know, it's a it's a blessing to be um, of many members in one body, um, and you know, especially when God is um, extending His grace to each and every one of us in a way to where we're all being exalted. When I'm saying we're being exalted, I don't mean like in replacement of Jesus. But the Bible says that if we humble ourselves, we will be exalted. And as each member is exalted, we, as a consequence, rejoice. Um, we're, we're thankful and we're grateful. I, I love to see when you all win. There's no delight in my heart to see any of you become defeated. And um, so with that said, I, I want to welcome you to pray with me and um, let me preface also by saying that this is a sacred time 
and this it behooves us and necessitates our attention and intention um you know as as and i hate to sound so i guess you can say cliche um but i i love this quote only because i don't think it's necessarily true although in some cases and contexts it can be true but i think it gives you a little punch um to kind of awaken you but it's the quote that unless we concentrate in prayer we will be praying in concentration camps and as i've said i don't necessarily believe that to be true i don't think at least i don't hope to be in a concentration camp anytime soon (laughs) but how many of you know we got our own emotional concentration camps so to speak and um we have to, the Bible says in James, I think the fifth chapter, if any among you are afflicted, let him pray. Um, but it takes intentionality, it takes attention and concentration to do so. So when we are gathering together, do the best you can to eliminate any distractions. Let me let me say this one thing, and I, I don't, I preface by this, uh, saying all this to kind of just set the atmosphere um, it's not an introduction to my introduction, <laughs> even the, you know, and I say that because, um, I don't really have an introduction. I just, just, uh, allow the Lord to use me, but I want to preface by saying this because if you have the, the ability to eliminate distractions and you don't do that, potentially your heart is rebellious. Like, for example, I've seen many cases when we're in church. I've seen this. um, When it's time for prayer, someone happens to be reading their Bible. It's like, that's not what we're doing. I get that you might want to read the Bible, but that is implicitly saying, I'm not joining with all that you're doing. And I I, I get that there's, you know, it's it's potentially the case that they're well-intended. But a lot of the times there's these little passive aggressive things that people I see have done in church that say, I'm not doing that. I'm not, uh, I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to worship. I'm going to do this and I'm going to let you know, and I'm just stay here sitting happy, um, doing what I want to do. And reality is you're not so happy. Um, the true happiness comes when we're all together of one mind and the mind that we are to be in unity with is the mind of Christ, right? And so we need to constantly practice a posture of heart that says, I don't want to be the one that causes or or leads to discord or any form of division. Because division is divided vision. We can't have divided vision, right? And I hope that makes sense. Um but I say that because I, I understand that some of you, you're not in the position to do that. Some of you, you're legitimately uh, pressed for time and, and you're taking care of kids and stuff like that. That's completely understandable. And, um, you know, but with that said, let, let us come to prayer. And I want to ask that the Lord would bless our meeting today. Father, <clears throat> I thank you, Lord, for your presence, Lord, that is already here. I thank you, God, because this gathering, Lord, is sacred. And, Lord, it's not common. 
And I pray, Father, that the attitudes of every person in this gathering today would not treat it as common. Lord, may we not be um, common people. May we not adopt a lifestyle that suggests we are not peculiar and we are just common people. Father, may we not be like Esau that was profane and common. He treated his birthright as if it was common. And as a, as a consequence, he became a, a fornicator. An unholy man. Treating holy things as if they're unholy and common. Father, help us, Lord, to have a a seriousness of a frame of mind, but also a joy as we come into your presence. Or I'm reminded of Isaiah 6 where he says, Lord, with great truth, and I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for I've seen the Lord high and lifted up. The train fills the temple. God, I ask that your train would fill this temple. And that your glory would abide among us. Lord, I pray that we would not be men and women of Ichabod. That uh, we would not be men and women. That it would be said that it would be said of our lives that the glory has departed. Father, may the glory not depart from our lives, but may it rest within our hearts and upon our heads and in our families and in our homes and in our workplaces. May we bring the glory wherever we uh, wherever we are led, Lord God, by you. For you're the Lamb, and we must follow you wherever you lead, O Lord. Father, we are to love not our lives, even unto death. Father, so help us to take up our cross. Help us not to yield our members to unrighteousness. Help us to yield our members unto righteousness, which leads to holiness, O Lord. Father, I pray that you would cleanse us inwardly, I pray that you would cleanse our inward members. Father, I ask that you would give me the unction, that you would give me the power to proclaim your word in truth. Father, that you would convict the hearers, that you would open up their understanding, that you would open up their eyes that they may see, that you would open up their ears that they may hear. Father, I pray that if any of us are in our spiritual graves, that you would resurrect us today. I pray, Father God, that you would have your way, Lord God, in our lives in a perfect way. Father, that we would not be unyielding to you. Would we, we would not be immovable, Lord God, stubborn and insisting on our ways, Lord. Father, help us to die a death tonight, Lord, and rise again in newness of life. Father, I pray right now <clears throat> that you would help us to break off the shackles of depression and the bondage that the devil wants to uh, set us in, Lord. Father, give me the grace I ask of you. Father, give me prophetic insight, Lord, as I would preach your word, and also teach in a manner, Lord, that would help liberate us, Father, from the things that serve as Satan's strategies. Hallelujah. Father, I ask that heaven would come down. Heaven would come down. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
I just want us to wait a minute. Don't don't be in a hurry. <coughs> Father, join with us. Holy Spirit, join with us. Holy Spirit, we invoke your name, O Lord. The omnipotent God, stretch out your arm, Lord. Stretch out your arm. Give us direction today. Give us direction tonight. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. For those of you that just joined, we're reading from James chapter 1. We will begin at verse 1. You know, the Lord only honors those that honor Him. <clears throat> and when I gather in when I've gathered in meetings before, and the Lord isn't there, you you want to know why? It's because the the person or people leading that are not honoring Him. And um, I get that the Lord comes um, at times stronger than others. But nevertheless, if his presence isn't there, it's because they are not um, honoring the Lord. And so therefore, he, he doesn't back them up. And he won't be there. And it doesn't matter how great our worship team is. It doesn't matter how much Bible we know. None of that matters. What matters is that the living Christ would dwell in our midst. Christ in our midst, the hope of glory. Um, okay, so James chapter 1. <clears throat> James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes and the dispersion greetings. Um, this isn't too big of a point, but I think it should be mentioned nevertheless is that um, James refers to himself and as there it says in the Greek, doulos, uh, slave of God, a servant of God. He was an apostle indeed, but um, what characterized James was his servitude. He was a servant. And if, um, if tradition is correct in, in mentioning um, that they refer to him as camel knees, camel knees, because the callus that he developed from praying so much on his knees, I think um, that was his greatest service. Um, he is only known for writing one letter. But how many petitions did he bring before the throne of grace on behalf of the church? <clears throat> right? He's a servant of God. Above all, we are we are servants and children. They're not mutually exclusive. We're both friends of God, but we are also servants of God. And and th that's the highest aim that we can have as as people here on earth is to live for others, to live for God primarily, but to include this nevertheless that we we are to serve people, right? And your service to others will look different. The way that military men serve their country is that they will, you know, go in the infantry or and even the army men have different positions. We all have different positions and we are to figure out 
our respected positions so that we may serve the body of Christ. Right? But number uh, verse 2 says, Count it joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So I want to point out, number one, is that it says to count it joy, all joy. And so it's that word reckon. It's not joy, but I will count it as such. Similar to how uh, positionally Jesus the Father counts us as righteous on the account of Christ's currency. On the account of his righteousness, we are accredited, we are counted, we are reckoned as righteous. In a similar way, we count it joy (coughs) when we face many trials, right? It's not a joyous thing. And the reason why I, I can say that isn't because I'm contradicting scripture, but even Peter says, though you are grieved... Through many trials, right? He says, you nevertheless rejoice with a joy inexpressible, a joy unspeakable. And so there's a recognition, and and Paul, he echoes this too. He says, we're always sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. It is possible that you can endure grief for a period of time, but nevertheless, in that baptism of grief, enjoy a divine happiness, blessedness, joy. Right? These are not mutually exclusive. We 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 enjoy we, we share in the sufferings of Christ, we share in grief, we share in sorrow, and, and we, we have sorrow of soul, but by the Spirit and in the Spirit we can experience joy. We can count things as joy. Now, uh, we, we ha- this has to be balanced because sometimes people who are well-intended end up thanking God or, or thinking are thankful for things um, that are bad things, uh, uh, certain things that the devil brings into our lives. But Paul says in Philippians to be thankful in all things to be thankful in suffering not for suffering and but it redounds to the glory of god obviously and it can work for our good but the thing itself is not good cancer is not good uh, on the on the sixth day it didn't say god created cancer and he said it was good He didn't say meningitis was good. He didn't say high blood pressure was good. He didn't say that a sin is good. But all these things that come into our lives, God can use for good. Romans chapter 8 verse 28, that we know that in all things, God works for the good of them that love God, who have been called according to his purpose. Now it's not unqualified. Not all things work for good, for everybody. You must be called according to His purpose. So in other words, the thing you have to have a posture of heart that intends on accomplishing the will of God for your life. Right? And you must love God. 
If you don't love God, these things will not work together for good. They will work together for evil, even if they are good things in your life. You know, every person that says no to Jesus tonight, their marriage will serve as an evil to them. Because it will only incur a greater condemnation at the judgment for why God had bestowed graces and blessings on their life and they still didn't turn unto him. Right? But all things work together for good them that, to them that love God who have been called according to his purpose. You know, I just le- recently listened to a sermon and um, it was a very insightful thing. And the preacher said, you don't got purpose. So let me mess up your theology already. He says, none of you got purpose. He says, it's only God's purpose, right? The only purpose you got is God's purpose. God doesn't care about your purpose. He cares about his purpose, right? Now that might, that might induce sorrow in our hearts. Oh, but I wanted this. I wanted that. I wanted this. But God, God, you know, he really don't care what you want. God cares about what he wants, right? But we are to count it joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Joy. One of the fruits of the Spirit. You know, and and a lot of times people say, you don't understand the suffering I'm going through. I can't rejoice right now. But, let me say this, and I don't want to be, you know, more heavy than what is what is necessary. But in the first century, you got to understand some of these, some of our brothers and sisters had gone through very terrible things. I mean, horrific. They were burned alive. They were cast into Nero's circus and ripped, you know, rip a shred, ripped the shreds by lions. And yet, nevertheless. Even in these horrific instances, they are not exempt from rejoicing in in God. Not rejoicing for that suffering, but rejoicing in suffering. There's a big difference. Not rejoicing for my pain. I, I think because I at least me I don't know I, I might be wrong here but I to me I think it's being oblivious and and in denial of the very real pain that you, you you're experiencing and if we're honest we're not happy for that pain we're happy in the pain but not for it and and we can be happy in it because happy is the man who has God. Happy is the man, blessed is the man who has Christ. Because if he has Christ, he has all things. And that's not just a, 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 um, to sound, you know, religious. It is very true to say that if we have Christ, we have all things. If we have him, we have hope. If we have him, that's the greatest blessing to have bestowed upon us. Forgiveness of sins. Amen. Redemption. Reconciliation with God. You know, I pointed this out last time, but how how horrific would the news be if you heard today that God is your enemy and he stands against you? Right? 
Does it really matter in that point who's for us? If God is against us? Does it matter if the devil is for us? Does it matter if Putin is for us? Does it matter if Trump or the rich Elon Musk is for us? Does it matter who is for us? If God is against us. But if God is for us, who can be against us? Does it really matter who is against us? Does it matter if the devil hurls to you all of his tactics, all of his fiery darts? Because at the end of the day, the omnipotent God, he stands for you and for myself. So therefore, once again, looking at this, we count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds. And so what, what does that say? It says that there isn't one kind of trial. There are various kinds. There's a, there's a trial uh, that may be very physical. There's a trial that may be um, financial. And we are not to get into this comparison trap to where we are comparing our trials with trials what we would consider worse than our, our own. Because we all experience trials of many kinds. And let me say this as, as a sense of hope. The, tri the smallest trial endured for Christ is a reward that will not be forgotten. It will be administered to you. The Bible says this, that even if a cup of cold water is given... For, to a righteous person, that person shall not lose their reward. Well, I'm here to tell you today that the smallest trial you've endured for the Lord is not unrecognized by Him. You may have forgotten about it, but there's many things that God doesn't forget. Uh, forget. All things He doesn't forget. Remember when He says, you know, I was naked, but you clothed me? And then they said, when, Lord, when did we do these things? So I can tell they weren't tallying these things up on their, you know, at for notches on their spiritual belt, right? They did this in true love, and but nevertheless, we're going back to this idea. We we have trials of many kinds, <coughs> and the word trial is I've looked it up, and it's a adver, uh, adversity, temptation, um. A solicitation. Now, this is a different word than the the um, the testing uh, 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 verses later, and this is suggesting that the trials that are met to us are by um, the the temptations that come our way are as a result of the devil, right? Because God, because James tells us later that God he he doesn't tempt anyone. He doesn't seduce anyone. He doesn't solicit anyone. He doesn't tempt anyone. Now, through the temptation that the devil brings in our lives, there's another form of testing that proves us. That's the form of testing that God is in the business of, is to, to, to prove our character. But he himself tempts no man, right? And I'm sure some of us have wondered this at times, like, you know, if God is in control, why, why am I always going through this stuff? Well, there's a very real devil that roams. 
And for one reason or another, we could speculate about it, philosophize about it, theologize about it, but God hasn't cast this devil into the lake of fire just yet. And even if it was the case, you still live in this carcass, this this dead body, this evil nature that is always at odds with God. So even if the devil were not present, there's still the deeds of the body you must put to death. And and the reality is this. We can continue to complain. We can continue to voice our uh, 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 displeasures at the fact that we, we have to endure and it's not fair. But nevertheless, we are where we are. It's like the Jews in the wilderness. There's no sense in complaining. We are here. And the more we complain, the more we wander, right? The more we grumble, the more we complain, the more we we stay in our miserable condition. And we don't advance to a solution. And it's it's my hunch that there are some of you here listening, you're still stuck in the situation, and all that you can find is a complaint in your voice. Why is it this way? Why does God, you know, the reality is that God isn't committed to answering all your questions. The last time I checked, when I see the character of God, He more often, I'm not saying you can't ask your questions. You can, but there's no promise that God is always going to answer you. And there's no promise. I know people say this, there's always an answer in Scripture. No, there isn't. There's there's not always an answer. Hence why we're always led to speculations about certain things. You know, Job, he clapped his hand over his mouth and he said, I spoke too soon. And the Lord said this, he says, says, brace yourself as a man, I will question you. Right? Isn't that what he said? And he says, where were you? When I laid the foundations of the earth. When were you when I laid the constellations in the sky? Answer me. Surely you know. Look at God asks a lot of questions. We see this in Genesis. He says, you know, where's Abel at? He says, am I my brother's keeper? Jesus says, why were you afraid? Job asks his questions. Abraham asks his questions. Zechariah the high priest asked his questions as a consequence was struck mute. It's not always good to ask questions, right? How will this be? That's the simple question he asked. And as a consequence, that, that question came from unbelief and he was struck mute, right? He got a whole lot less than what he was expecting. Once again, I'm not saying that there isn't a place to ask questions. All I'm saying is this, is that the ways of the Lord are often, or always, much higher than our own. Amen. And a lack of understanding what God is doing will lead us many times to complaint, to grumbling, right? To, To displeasure to, um, you know, you fill in the blank. And that is not the appropriate response. The appropriate response is this, that we are to understand, when we don't understand the ways of God, we are to understand His heart. Right? 
we are to understand the Father's heart. That irrespective of what comes our way, all things will work together for good. I don't know what that good will look like, but I do know that it will be good, right? But he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So what I love here is he, he doesn't say that for you guess or you speculate. He says you know. So this is an issue of knowledge. We know that these things uh, test our faith and it produces steadfastness. And so if, if you're wondering why some things are in your life, right? You don't have to wonder anymore. You can understand for, for, for certain that these things occur in order to test your faith. Now, here's, here's another thing I wanted to point it out. It says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. I used to think that faith produces steadfastness. Faith doesn't produce steadfastness. The testing of our faith produces steadfastness. For the same reason that, let's suppose, um, like we're, we're talking about a gym, or we're talking about physical you know, uh, uh, muscle, we're, we're talking about lifting weights and stuff, or we're talking about, um, you know, things associated with athleticism. Um, my arms and my legs will not produce strength. The, the, or, or, uh, but the tet or my, let, let's say if I ran fast, right? It won't secure for me results. My ability to run fast won't secure results for me until my ability to run fast is actually tested. And let's call that a race. And so faith alone, isolated, standing by itself, doesn't produce steadfastness. What is needed are the, is the arena, is the context, are the circumstances for faith to activate itself into action and thereby give you the results called steadfastness. Amen. And what is steadfastness? It comes from a, a Greek word, hupomone, uh, and that word hupo is, means to come under. It, 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 yeah, it means to come under. And, and so it means to remain under, immovable under trial. That's what the word amounts to. And so that's what steadfastness is. It's I endure and I come under trial. I remain under. I, I remain immovable and I refuse to budge. Why? Because Christ, Christ is my anchor. It's not the circumstances that enables me to, to remain. Because if we are circumstantial Christians... You would have got divorced a long time ago. If you were circumstantial Christians, you would have caved to pornography a long time ago. If we were circumstantial Christians, we would have backslidden a long time ago. But we are not to be circumstantial. We are to reside on Christ the rock. We are to reside on Christ the anchor. And if we remain on Him, if we uh, build our lives on the rock, 
and not on the sand. Though the waves come, and though the torrents assail us, and though the problems afflict us, and though the devil harasses us, we can remain immovable, steadfast, and enduring under trial. Amen. Amen. But that requires the testing of our faith. The testing of it. And the sad reality is this. Is that we often attribute to ourselves a greater estimation than who we really are in, in light of truth. Right? Let me say this for the for for uh hopefully to impart hope. Some of you are better than what you estimate yourselves to be. You're always down talking yourself, always saying I can't do it, always saying this, always saying that, always saying, you know, uh I, I can't ever but isn't that what Moses does? He says, you know, I I, I stutter, I, I I'm not a man of eloquent speech, I can't speak to these people. Isn't that what Gideon said? When the angel appeared to him, he says, Oh, thou mighty man. He says, I'm I'm a man, of, uh, I'm the smallest of my clan. I'm not a mighty man. Right? When, when uh, David had the prophecy spoken over him, saying that he was a king. But currently, the circumstances, his position, his occupation said contrary. It said that he was a shepherd boy. See, many of you are, are preachers. Some, some of you are things for the Lord that you cannot currently see. But God is saying that you are. And he calls those things that are not as though they were. Okay. He calls those things that are not as though they were. And what matters is not your perspective. Your perspective gets positions you. That isn't the main uh, uh, driving factor, the main driving factor is what God says of you. His perspective of you. Right? Not the devil, not your neighbor. Not, and I'm not saying that we utterly discount or, you know, disregard what other people have to say about us. A wise man wants to, you know, uh, evaluate himself in truth. He understands himself. They have blind spots and he wants to ask others what, you know, if, if they're, you know, uh, off in some points or if they can correct themselves and improve in certain areas that's good but nevertheless at the end of the day the final opinion that matters is God's judgment of us and some of you are judging yourself in fact more hardly than you ought when God is saying very good things for your report God has God is commending you and, and here's the thing, is that God actually says good things about us. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, He says, I commend you for you have endured for my name's sake. And you know what I love about the Lord is He doesn't begin off on a bad foot. He, 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 uh, he's intentional about mentioning the good things about you first. So you, So He lets you know where He stands with you, that He actually is interested in telling you some good things about you. In other words, I commend you, son. I commend you, daughter, because you're doing really good in these areas. I'm happy to see this. 
However, you have this one thing against you. Right? Whereas the devil, he will assail you and he will exploit you and he will magnify everything about you and mention nothing good about you. He blackmails you. He gaslights you. He manipulates you. He coerces you. Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, is not in the business of coercion and blackmailing. God has never blackmailed a single person. God has never coerced. God has never uh, uh, beat people into a position to where he 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 implores he he invites he woos and obviously there are instances where he will bring physical problems into the lives of his children for the purposes of a greater good a redemptive purpose but everything and uh, everything that we go through under the sun as children of god is all done with the motivation of God's fatherly love for you and for myself. But the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, as it says in, uh, I believe it's uh, Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. The word of the Lord reads this. Um, not only that, <coughs> but we rejoice in our sufferings. <coughs> Once again, it's not rejoicing for sufferings, rejoicing in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. It's another word for steadfastness. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so, you know what creates hope? Isn't comfortable times. It's uncomfortable times. You see how backward God works from the world? We associate hope with good times and luxury and comfort, whereas God produces hope in times of discomfort and suffering. Right? Isn't that interesting? I think suffering has a way of purifying our vision to get our eyes off the things that are in this world and to get our eyes on Christ who is the hope of glory. It's easy in times of luxury, and I'm not against good things in our lives, but it's very easy in our lives to lend trust to the things that brings us comfort, to place trust in those things which are uncertain and transient. The things that are temporal, the things that are not enduring, the things that are not lasting forever. You know, I believe it's a hymn, it says, "'Tis one life soon be passed, and only that which is done for Christ shall last." "'Tis one life soon be passed." Apostle James says this, he says, What is your life, O man? You're but a vapor. We take a shape today and tomorrow we're of another shape. We, we, we disperse within the air. We're a mist. 
We're here in one moment and we're gone the next. But Christ is enduring. He's the anchor in our times of suffering. He's the fuel that endures us. He's the rock of the ages. And He doesn't move. He doesn't budge. He's stable. He's fixated. He, he, doesn't, shit, he doesn't get tossed to and fro by the winds and the waves of this world. The Christ that was fixated yesterday is the Christ that is enduring today. The Christ that was stable 2,000 years ago is the Christ that still remains today as the rock of the ages. The Christ yesterday that said that he's able to save to the uttermost is the Christ that is able to save to the uttermost today. His mercy is still enduring. There's been 10,000 years of humanity and yet the mercy of God has not been depleted. The mercy of God has not been dispensed. The mercy of God is no less in degree than it is today. It is still the same. It is still enduring. It's still inexhaustible. His currency is far greater than that of Bill Gates. His uh, riches far outweigh and estimate that of Elon Musk. And the God who was merciful yesterday is the God who is merciful today and forevermore. And he's fixed forevermore. He doesn't change. There's nothing that will incite him. Nothing that will bribe him. He is still today God and forever will be God. Hallelujah. Amen. <clears throat> it's a tautology. God is God. He, he's self-referent. He's self-sustaining. Uh, self self-existing. Omnipotent. Timeless. Spaceless. Right? He doesn't need us. And yet this exalted God that is far above the heavens and the earth wants us. What are men that you're mindful of them, or the son of men that you should care for them? You made them a little lower than the angels, but you crowned them with glory and honor. <coughs> what are men that you're mindful of them? The God who created the vast cosmos and set into motion the expanses of the sky. And all its constellations and the depths of the ocean and 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 had placed uh, a Mount Everest there for our uh, um, amazement right these these vast mountains for our amazement and for God's good pleasure is the same God who looks upon us frail people that are made in his image and it wasn't for the mountains it wasn't for the stardust you know like neil what's the dude's name degrassi or i don't know the guy's name he's a um he believes we all came from nothing you know he, he loves stardust he exalts stardust right all these atheists love to talk about we're all stardust i'm not stardust i'm made in the image of god amen and I have value. I have purpose. I There is inherent value within us as the people of God. And here's the thing though. That's why the trials mean what they do. That's why they're important. Is because these testings come our way to purify us. That we conform more to the image of Christ and not ourselves. 
Amen. No, I, I, some of you, uh, I've recommended to some of you, Viron Ash, right? The Orthodox Pentecostal. <laughs> He's a peculiar guy, but he said that God incarnated himself to become man, that men may become like God. Not God in the sense of having power, but God was made in the image of man, that man would become conformed to the image of God. I think that's a, a, a beautiful picture there of what our highest call to is that there, the Lord wants little representatives of Jesus here on earth that looks just like him. Right? That's what he's after. You, you wonder why <clears throat> some relationships don't work and you keep trying to force this stuff because it won't lead you to look more like Jesus. It won't lead you to look more like Christ. You know, and I, I want to say this to hopefully open up our eyes. You know what it will make you look more like? The devil. We don't want to look like the devil. We want to look like Jesus. We want to look like Christ. And so we're tested. We're tested in various ways, with various trials. You know, this is what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17, beginning of verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. So in other words, Paul wants us to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. <clears throat> but Paul's fear is that the church at Thessalonica were going to be moved by the afflictions that they were encountering. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. So in other words, there's no sense in trying to pray to be rescued from testing. You know, there's this quote, the only rapture that Christians want today is rapture from responsibility. <laughs> right? Well, you can't get raptured from testing. Sorry, we're destined for this. Right? We're destined for it. But that shouldn't cause us to fear. Right? Paul tells us that suffering produces hope. Fear is the enemy of hope. <coughs> for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. In other words, we, we told you there's room in our theology 
There, our, our theology necessitates that we tell you that you will, in fact, suffer. Right? You know, I'm sorry, but the Bible doesn't advocate a Joel Osteenism. It doesn't. That everything's going to be fine. You just love your dog and love your cat. You can wake up in the morning and have a big smile. Because your best life is now. <laughs> right? That's not that's not what the Bible says. But it says, for this reason, Ned Flanders Christianity. <laughs> For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. <clears throat> See, in this context, Paul is talk about, talking about suffering here. Right? He's talking about uh, the, the affliction that the, church, the Thessalonians were receiving. Not on the account of being obnoxious, not on the account of of sins that they've committed, but on the account of their association and their allegiance with Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus says, Blessed are you if you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, for my sake, for great is your reward in heaven. You're not blessed if you're persecuted for other reasons. Or you're not persecu- you're not blessed if you're persecuted for being a religious jerk. You're not blessed for those reasons. You're not blessed if you're being obnoxious. Sometimes we receive ill treatment not because we spoke about Jesus, but because we spoke about Jesus in a way that misrepresented Jesus. And Jesus, he says, you're not blessed for that. That's your fault, right? But in this context, Paul is talking about affliction and enduring suffering. And he, and he talks about the, uh, the, the tempter would tempt the people of God. And as a result of that, the labor that Paul and Timothy had, had issued to the church at Thessalonica would be in vain. In other words, it would be for nothing. We all did this for no reason. Because you, you backslid and you went back to the things that you knew. Right? And, and in James, James talks about, he says, let each man, when he's tempted... Verse 13 in the first chapter, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians who's doing the tempting, and it's the devil. Right? He's the one that is tempting you. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But here, here is the determining factor as to whether or not you will bite the bait that the devil gives you or you resist it. <clears throat> Verse 14, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So in other words, Satan is exploiting your desires. He knows all your weaknesses and he knows how to set it up to where the the deal looks irresistible. You know, um, <clears throat> he, he's the best car salesman. 
And he often sells you rinky-dink cars that are jacked up. And he makes you pay more than you bargained for. But, you know, he, he, but he butters you up, doesn't he? He says, oh, we'll throw in this free coffee. I don't know if you've ever been to a car dealership. They're like, they'll butter you up. They'll massage you. They'll kiss your feet. They'll do whatever you, they'll, you know, to, to get you to buy a car. They're like, do you want coffee? Do you want water? They act like you're, they're your best friend, right? But they're employing these psychological tactics because they're really interested in dollar signs. They're interested in your, 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 uh, your wallet. Well, the devil, he's interested in getting you to bite whatever he has to offer you. I want to make this personal. What what is he offering you today? Because mark my words, brothers and sisters, and I want you to ask yourselves this. What is he offering you? Because he is offering you something. Each and every one of you, he's offering you something. What is he? He's offering you sex. Is he offering you power? Is he offering you vengeance? Revenge? Is he offering you pornography? <clears throat> oh, how about this? He's offering you your ideal marriage, but not God's ideal marriage. And what happens is when you bite, the Bible says you're dragged away. The moment it's often when you bite, you you realize I don't want to I don't want to do this. But it's then he hooks you, and you're being dragged away and enticed. You know it says uh, of the adulterous woman in the book of Proverbs it says that her words are smooth as oil and butter, but the end thereof is as bitter as wormwood. And it says, those who go down unto her house, neither do they regain the paths of life. Right? And so, the tempter is going to continue to tempt you that the work that God has done in and through you would be in vain. Right? What, what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians? He says, the message that we preach to you, he says, he says, uh, that you're kept by faith if you keep in mind those things that were preached to you at first hand lest your believing be in vain right are you of the soils where when sown you produce good fruit or do you believe for a little while and after testing you fall away and your believing was in vain. We have been called to endure. We have been called to remain steadfast under trial. In other words, God wants to convict you guilty of Christianity. That's what God wants to do. But here, here, here's the good thing. The Bible recognizes that there are such persons who fail and they falter. Such as Peter. But you know the beautiful thing? Jesus says, 
I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. So you're not in this by yourself. Jesus is continuing to make intercession for you. And so, you know, Peter's faith did not fail, even though in a moment, in an hour of testing, he failed. Peter did not utterly fall. As David said this, he says, Though a righteous man fall, he shall not utterly fall. I believe that's in Psalm 55, if I'm not mistaken. In other words, our falls, by the grace of God, shall not be fatal. And I just want to prophesy that to you today, that the falls that you have fallen are not fatal, but you shall arise and come forth stronger than who you were previously. Hallelujah. By the grace of Almighty God, He is able to wash away the pain. He is able to take away all the things that you've ever suffered. And He will cut them off like He cut off Pharaoh. He was swallowed up in the waters. And so may the waters of repentance, the tears of repentance, swallow up everything that tried to hold you in bondage in yesterday. Hallelujah. And God is able to do it. There is no shortage in His power. There is no lack in His ability. There is no insufficiency in His grace. But the God of all grace will make you perfect, establish you, strengthen you, and settle you. To Him be glory, dominion, power forever. Amen. Amen. He's able to strengthen you. He's able to settle you. He's able to perfect you. Now to Him who's able to keep us stumbling and falling and present us faultless, faithful is He, the Bible says, right? Isn't it what that says? Faithful is He and He will do it. And so if you're wondering where our hope comes from in the midst of suffering, in the testing of our faith, is this, that we don't have a high priest that is unable to empathize with our weakness, but was made unto like his brethren. The Bible says he had partaken of flesh and blood like you and I, and he had been encompassed with suffering and he is therefore able to empathize with your weakness and the bible says this that he's able to be touched with the feelings of your infirmities and today he lives as a faithful high priest making intercession for the saints of god and not only that he hasn't left you as an orphan and the holy spirit helps us in our weakness if you are of the, the conclusion that God is, is, is so fed up with you that he is um, re- refusing to offer you assistance in your hour of testing, then you're not believing what the Bible says of his ministry. The Bible says he helps us in all of our weaknesses. Every last one of them. The Holy Spirit has been committed with a steadfast ministry that is immovable and is insistent upon helping you in every hour of your testing. And every trial, no matter what it is, it says that we are encompassed with various testings. But doesn't matter which testing it is, the Holy Spirit has already committed himself in advance to help you. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And if that wasn't enough, the Lord even sends angels to minister to us. It says they assist and help those who will inherit salvation. 
What do we see in the Garden of Gethsemane? When Jesus was praying uh, uh, so intense that he was sweating drops of blood, it says the angels had come and ministered to him. Angels had come and began serving the Christ. Jesus is not unable to empathize with our weakness. He's not unable to. You know, he says, I understand. Doesn't mean he condones or accepts our fallings. But he certainly understands what led us to fall in the first place. And he also understands how to get you out. And he doesn't just understand. He's committed to getting you out. Hallelujah. I want to read one other passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. This is one of my favorite passages, beginning at verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. You know what I love about Paul? Because he's telling... Church of Thessalonica, like, hey, Thessalonians, you guys are going through affliction, you know. But Paul is not inexperienced in the school of affliction. He's not one of those. (laughs) I remember when I was in juvenile hall, there was these, uh, these, these oversized COs that wanted to yell in my face, tell me do push-ups and like, you know, run laps. I'm like, bro, why aren't you running? They don't have to, but you get what I'm saying. Or, you know, uh, you know, when you go out for runs and stuff like that, uh, they, they would have, like, um, trucks. Like, they would be in the trucks, like, you know, just driving right next to you. The real cool ones would uh, would jog right with you, though. <laughs> but, but you know, or even some of you who have been in football. Yeah, I try to be nice and say oversized. I don't want to. But, you know, even in football, right, they yell in your face and it's like, man, coach, why aren't you doing anything? <laughs> I get you put in your time or, or did you put in your time, you know? But, hey, I, I, we would appreciate you come alongside of us, you know? But Paul, he, he's not inexperienced in the school of affliction. You know, so he says this, we don't want you to be ignorant of the affliction, that we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. So you think that the sufferings that you encounter are unique. Such that they're unbearable. Right? But Paul says, look, there's some things that we've gone through that this was far beyond our strength. This was far beyond our strength. We couldn't endure this. This is the great apostle Paul. But look it, he says, it was so bad. He didn't say that I went home and cried in my pillow. Even though that's probably a legitimate response. I'm, we have those times, right? David says, I water my couch with tears. And David was a mighty man of valor, right? But he says, it was so bad that we despaired of life itself. We didn't think we were going to live anymore. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. He felt he had received the sentence of death. 
Isn't that show us how our feelings are not reliable gauges for the truth and the reality of God on our lives? I feel far from God. I feel like He don't love me. I feel this. I feel that. But what does the Word say? What does God say in His Word regarding us? We felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Amen. God is still in the resurrection business. He hasn't been fired. <laughs> you know, if you Google him, he has five stars and he has only good reports. Raised me from the dead, raised me from the dead, raised me from the dead. Good quality, good customer care service. <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't failed me once. Hasn't failed me yet. He's a miracle. He's a way maker. Miracle worker. <laughs> Promise keeper. Light in the darkness. <laughs> That's his reviews. He hasn't got one star just yet. But if you go on the devil's reviews, you have zero stars. In fact, the only star you'll see is a pentagram. And he's he's the agent of death. But our God is the agent of life. <clears throat> and it says this happened. And so, brothers and sisters, what's happening in your life that the Lord permits for the purpose of of inciting in you a reliance upon the God who raises the dead. Abraham's was Abraham's body was good as dead. Sarah's womb was unfruitful. There in late age, right? <laughs> you know, so I'm married. You know, and I, I know, I know. Uh, how babies can keep you up at night when they're you know young and they want milk and stuff like that, and it can be exhausting for you know even parents in their twenties or even you know late teens or even thirties, forties, so forth. But Abraham and Sarah were kind of old, right? <laughs> they didn't have baby monitors. They didn't have any of that stuff, and uh, you know. They didn't go to McDonald's and just give them chicken nuggets, you know, or it was difficult in those times. And yet, God gave their body strength to do what it could not have done otherwise. Right? God administered grace. He gave life to the womb and made possible what was impossible with men. And so God, a lot of times, takes you to the end of the road, like boys to men. The end of the road. Anyways, he takes you to the end of the road so that you recognize that when you get delivered and you you get through, that it wasn't from yourself. And so finishing up here says this. <clears throat> he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. 
So, <clears throat> God wants glory from this. There's two things He wants us to do in response to testing and trials. is prayer and thanksgiving. Prayer is the language of the dependent. You cannot say that you're dependent upon God and you're relying upon the God of the resurrection if you're not praying. It's very simple. <clears throat> God places you in situations that are as good as dead so that you can call on the God who raises the dead. David says in Psalm 116, I love the Lord for he has heard my cry and I will call on him as long as I live. I love the Lord because he heard my cry. It said this poor man cried unto the Lord and he heard him. But in Psalm 116, I believe verse 2, it says this, I will call on him as long as I live. In other words, God has given me a resume that I could not argue against. I can't argue against God's resume. He delivered me, and therefore I believe He will deliver me again. But God will continue to work through the vehicle of calling on His name. Prayer. That's how He grants you that rescuing. That's how he sees you through. What does Jesus say when the disciples are tempted in the wilderness? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Right? So when you are tested, because you will be. When you are afflicted, because you will be. When you suffer, because you will. Not if, but when and how. Those are the questions, right? Not if, because it's not a matter of will I. <clears throat> when that occurs, we rely on God in those times and we say, Lord, I cannot. And that's actually the beginning to deliverance. It's I cannot. Because God wants you to confess that and believe it. Because if we don't, then it, it suggests to God that we have it our own. We, ha we got this and we can do it ourselves. Well, I think it was Praying Hyde or Hudson Taylor. I forgot which man it was. But uh, they asked him, someone asked him, how did God use you so mightily? And he says, God searched to and fro throughout the earth and looked for the weakest man and he found me. In other words, God wants those that cannot do for themselves. So that when benefits come as a when benefits come into our life, when deliverance comes, everyone knows that this wasn't them, this is God. There's a God in heaven who answers the cries and the oppression of his people. How else do you believe how else was it possible that the Jews were delivered from Egypt, right? A weak people, oppressed people. Pharaoh far out you know, he had far greater strength than they. And nevertheless, what does the Bible say in Exodus? That God heard the cry of their oppression. 
He heard their cry, and he delivered them. He rescued them. Let me read one more passage. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Beginning at verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me. You know, isn't that uh, sad, right? You'd imagine that someone wouldn't want to stand next to Paul. I mean, he raised the dead. I'm sure he had like a pretty large Instagram following, right? <laughs> I'm sure like he was on Sid Roth's show and like was getting asked to preach at all these churches and you know what I mean? They they could uh they could use him to network to kind of springboard their ministry into something greater, right? I had Paul's hands laid on me. Ooh. Right? I signed up for his free courses. <laughs> I got his handkerchief. I got the cloak that he left at Troas, along with the parchments. <laughs> I'll sell it to you. <laughs> Anyways, beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. And my first defense, no one came to stand by me, <clears throat> but all deserted me. May not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Right? The Lord stands by us. So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. (laughs) The churches in the Bible were on his mailing list too. Yeah. He gave them monthly updates. They they subscribe to his, uh, his yeah. Uh, he even sold the book on him going to heaven. <laughs> this is the subtitle to his new book: Rapture from Responsibility. Ten ways you can no, nah. but um, <clears throat> God stands by us in our suffering, and He rescues us from every evil attack. Right, He does. Um, it doesn't mean that weapons won't be formed against us, but like Fred Hammond said, they won't work. No weapon. You guys know that song? Go ahead and sing it. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. It won't work. It says God will do what he said he will do. He will come through. Hallelujah. That we don't have to stand by ourselves in suffering. We don't have to stand by ourselves when we're tested. The Bible says that God stands by our side. And though weapons are fashioned against us, and though 
the devil harasses us and assails us and tries to entice us to get us into bondage. The Holy Spirit is there to help. Christ is interceding for us. We have the church that we can lean on in our times of difficulty, bearing one another's burdens, fulfilling the law of Christ. But the way we receive rescue, and God has placed a responsibility upon you, and it's that you would pray. There's this acronym, pray until something happens. Therefore, you must push. Pray until something happens. Pray until you receive breakthrough. So, um, <clears throat> in fact, James chapter 1 verse 5 says, If you lack wisdom during these times, you can ask of the Lord and He will give graciously. He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? Let me say this last thing. Jesus is more eager to help you than you are willing to receive help. Amen. Amen. There is no reluctance in the heart of God. And He has an eagerness to help. It's within His very nature. God is love. And He sympathizes. He understands. And he's the Prince of Peace. And he has come to bring peace to us. He says, I have come that they might have peace. He says, in this world you will have many tribulations. But take heart for I have overcome the world. Right? And in him we overcome it too. We are more than conquerors. And that doesn't just make for good verses on a, on a, a coffee mug. Or on your Instagram bio, I'm an overcomer. <laughs> like you, re you really are. Family of God, you are overcomers in Christ. And even though you felt you received the sentence of death, this is only a setup for God to get the glory. And so let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, we come before you, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, for... Your love, I thank you, Father, that you haven't abandoned us. I thank you, Lord, that you haven't left us as orphans. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you care, that you love us. Father, I thank you, Lord, that your mercy endures forever. I thank you, Father, that you're able to make all grace abound. Father, I thank you, Lord, that my family in Christ are hanging on to you. And when they are desperately weak, Lord, you're hanging on to them. I thank you, Lord, that you're a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I thank you, Lord, that it has been over a decade and you still have holding on to me. And you haven't let me go, Lord, that you have preserved me up until this day. I thank you, Lord, that even for those who have backslidden or are backsliding, Lord, that you're able to push them forward. You're able to get them, Lord, back to where they are. In fact, much greater than where they currently are, Lord. For you're able to cause grace to abound in such a way that our lives are trophies of, of glory. 
Father, I ask that you would give us strength to not be enticed by the devil. Father, we ask, Lord, like you had performed in the life of Paul, that you would rescue us from every evil attack. Father, we ask also, Lord, that your that uh, endurance, we ask for endurance, so that after we've done the will of God, we may receive the promise. Father, we ask that you would perfect us. Give us wisdom, O Lord. We ask that you would make us perfect, establish us, strengthen us, and settle us. Father, may we no longer be babes tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Father, may we no longer be emotional Christians that are swayed by and incited by our emotions. Father, give us the ability to anchor ourselves in times of difficulty. Father, may we reside on the rock of the ages. Like David said, my foot would ha- had well nigh slipped, but the Lord upheld me. Lord, uphold those that are about to fall. God, may we, Lord, no longer believe the gospel of the devil that promises us what he tells us is good news, but is in fact bad news. Father, I ask that all things would work together for good to those who love you who have been called according to your purpose. Holy Spirit, grant grace and may your peace and your face shine upon your people. And Lord, I pray right now for those that are dealing with depression. Lord, they're dejected and they have a heavy weight and load on their shoulders. Father, I ask right now in the mighty name of Jesus, Father, that that depression would lift. That that depression would lift right now in Jesus' mighty name. Father, I just I want to pray right now for Sister Norma. Lord, I ask God that all heaviness would lift up. Father, I ask of you, Lord, for... Um, for lightness and peace, Lord. Father, we ask for breakthrough, Lord. Lord, your word says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Lord, I ask that you would deliver her from every affliction. God, I pray that you would strengthen her right now in this moment. Lord, give her grace, Father, we ask. Lord, we pray that you would exchange the, uh, the, the rags of, of, of sorrow and exchange them for garments of praise. Lord, may she break forth aloud in praise right now, Lord. May there be a song on her lips. May there be a rejoicing on her lips, O Lord. Father, I pray right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. No more suppression. No more rejection, Lord God, I pray. Hallelujah. Sister, I'm hearing the Lord saying that you are not rejected by Him, but are accepted by Him. And it matters not uh, who rejects, but God accepts. Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you that you have accepted Sister Norma. And, And the Lord is saying that He sees eye to eye with you. When others do not see eye to eye. When others are bent on misunderstanding, when people are, are, are warped on, on 
reading in between the lines and 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 um, saying what they want and thinking what they want about you, the Lord sees you in truth. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Thank you for your peace, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Father, I pray that you bless her. Lord, I pray that you bless her, Lord, for this desire to do women's ministry, Lord God. To, to minister to women, Lord God. Father, I just I just pray right now that you open the doors, Lord God. And, and I'm hearing the Lord saying that others have undervalued your gift. Others have overlooked your gift. And the Lord's saying that the, the time is no more. That God is going to set up a platform in order for you to utilize the things that others have not appreciated. That others have uh, undervalued. And others have uh, tried to dismiss. But God isn't dismissing what he has placed within you. And he's calling forth those things that he has deposited in you to be a blessing. And the Lord is saying that you are a blessing. When others have not accepted you as a blessing, that you are a blessing. And, 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 and I'm hearing that you, you're hardest on yourself. But the Lord is saying, don't be hard on yourself for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. We praise and magnify your holy name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We glorify you. We magnify you, Lord God. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your presence, Lord. We thank you for your presence, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We glorify you, Lord. Lord, I just want to pray for my brother Kamsi, Lord. I pray that you would continue to anoint his lips, Lord. I pray that you would continue to inspire him, Lord. Father God, I pray that you would use him, Lord, to influence others through godly music. Father, I pray that his music would would gain traction, Lord God. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would use him as a voice for his generation and for the younger generation, Lord God. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, for um, godly and divine deposits, Lord. Um in a way that this generation needs to hear, Lord God. Continue, Father, to use him, Lord, in music, Father. I pray right now in Jesus' mighty name that and and that the devil would not um the devil would not exploit the gifts that you have given him. And brother, I'm just hearing the Lord saying that it has been um um a, a, a battle for you uh, in your walk because you have a lot of value. You have a lot of giftings. And the devil has tried to manipulate those giftings for him. But God is jealous to sanctify those for his purposes. And so, Lord, I, I just pray, Lord God, continue, Lord, to open up doors, to open up doors, and that he would continue to speak truth 
even, Lord, when it's not popular, even when it's frowned upon, Lord God. And I just pray right now, Lord, for <clears throat> insight and discernment, Lord. Insight and discernment. And Lord, I just pray that you give him the ability to see those that he's to associate with and those that he's to disassociate with. Lord, I just ask God that he would uh, uh, be wise in his dealings with people and not connect with any and everybody. And I'm hearing the Lord saying that he don't want you to connect with any and everybody. He wants you to be wise and discerning with respect to those who you are to connect with. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. We worship you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just want to lift up my sister Nancy, Lord. I just pray that you would use her, Lord God, to minister to the kids, Lord. I pray that you would use her to minister to the kids, Lord God. I ask, Father, for a, a, a divine strategy. I ask that you would deposit into her, Lord, the blueprints, Father God, to be able to be an advocate for uh, these young children, Lord God. Lord, I, I thank you, Lord, that you have given her a heart that is willing to step in the gap. And um, I'm, I'm hearing that, that you uh, have given your back. It's, I, I, I kind of see you laying on uh, your, kind of like your stomach and, and you kind of like a, a, a you kind of laid down your very like life in a, in a, to people to walk over you to get where they need to go. Um yeah, I'm just seeing you kind of laying face down and, and people have walked over your back and you voluntarily have given your back for people. And um, and so, Lord, I just thank you, Lord, for, for her compassion and, and her uh, sacrifice. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice she has made even when she has got nothing in return. And Father, I just pray that return would come to her, Lord. Open up the doors, Lord God, for her to be able to see the travail of her soul and the desires of her heart, Lord. The desires of her heart, God. Hallelujah. Father, I just pray for um, the necessary people to stand in her corner, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. The necessary people, Lord God, that you would lead her to the correct groups, to the correct people. Yes, Father. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that even though we might be an outcast with people, we're an incast with God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. You are worthy, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to take a couple more minutes just to worship the Lord. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. You're worthy. You're worthy of all the glory. You're worthy of all the honor. You're worthy of all the praise. You're a faithful God. You're a covenant-keeping God, and we love you, Lord. We thank you that you've been faithful to us. Thank you that you've been faithful to us, Lord. 
Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah.